Hey folks, Tom Block. Thanks for tuning into Front Row Knowles and thanks to the Champions Club and Seminole Boosters for their longtime support of this podcast. By now you've seen or heard about the Boosters One Tribe campaign, which is annual membership to Seminole Boosters that helps fund the most vital needs of the FSU athletics program, including scholarships, academic support, and athletic training. I'll put this as simply as I can. If you're listening to this podcast, you care about FSU athletics and should be a booster. Many of you already are. Thank you. And I encourage you, if you're able, to increase your support. If you're not a member, you can join for as little as 70 bucks a year. Just go to boosters.fsu.edu to learn more. And now sit back, keep your seat, keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle. Well, you know the drill. Enjoy the show. Here's Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. We welcome you to Front Row Knowles. Tom and KJ back with you once more. Keith, it is good to see you, sir. It is good to be seen. I'm sorry our listeners can't, but uh, Zoom technology means you and I get to make, uh, maybe we'll do some facial recognition, see if we can uh, identify ourselves without our names. (laughs) We uh, will talk lots about men's basketball again, but Bob Ferranti will join us next segment. And obviously basketball is grabbing the headlines now, both men's and women's. So that conversation's coming up. Also, something, a sport we don't pay as much attention to, and that is women's tennis, which is in the top five in the nation right now. And so Coach Jennifer Hyde, who's a Florida State alum, she played her tennis at FSU in the early 90s. She'll join us as well. She's got really got things clicking on all cylinders right now. So look forward to that conversation. Who was it last week or two weeks ago when we were sitting there, which one of us was saying that Florida State doesn't have enough games left to percentage-wise win the ACC men's basketball regular season. Was that you or was that Bob? Who do I fuss at? Well, you can fuss at me, but that was predicated on unless Virginia lost, which they did. But the same thing could come back to bite FSU again if FSU stumbles between now and the end of the regular season. But, But they control their own destiny. They do. They do. And so they're going to win tonight over Miami. And then the big challenge will be North Carolina this weekend. And ultimately, I think then they go to Notre Dame and Notre Dame is down from what it's been, even though that has been a challenging place. Notre Dame and Boston College are the last two, I think. Yeah. And Boston College is at home. So the point is, BC is who they finished up against last year, just before the pandemic, before the game got canceled at the ACC tournament when they cut down the nets and they unveiled the banner for ACC champions. So that could happen again against Boston college this year. I'm just saying, I mean, if you control your own destiny and you win the next three, you go into that BC game, we may see another banner in the rafters with some black draping in front of it. If and until FSU closes it out. What do you think? You know, I I was so ignorant last year. I didn't even look up there. I think Deckerhoff told me that he had, he looked up there somewhere about halfway through the second half and saw it. I never even saw it till they were doing it. That's how in the sand this ostrich was. What's the significance to you though? It's already significant that Florida state is, they're going to be in the top two, two years in a row. But if you're actually ACC champs two years in a row, Tommy, the best way I can explain it is when I first started doing basketball so many years ago, we did 27 consecutive road losses. That's three and a half years where FSU did not win 
a single ACC game on the road, 27 consecutive in memory serves. To, to I remember being around Leonard and, and um, you know, he would say things that, that you know, it would express his frustration. Just wait. Just wait. It's not always going to be like this. Just, just wait. And, and it took a while, but you're now at the point where you are a recognized force in the ACC. Leonard knew what he was talking about and he delivered. You can argue that maybe it took too long. I don't make that argument, but some would. But that's, that's a real, real sweet feeling, I would think, for those people that really love FSU basketball. Well, to the point about whether it took too long or not, Keith, this is an interesting conversation because it will come up on the football side if Mike Norvell doesn't have success in a couple of years. The truth may be that Florida State couldn't afford to turn over coaches and pay Leonard a buyout when he wasn't making the NCAA, and I don't know. Or maybe the truth was they were never really close to to parting ways. But the reality is, because they didn't, and they let a coach actually stay in place, and I don't mean actually related to Florida State. Florida State's had a lot lot of long-tenured coaches. I mean, in in the grand scheme of college athletics, the trigger gets pulled pretty quickly and coaches don't have enough time to establish their culture. And when you look at what's happened with Leonard Hamilton in Florida state, this isn't just that he's got FSU winning. He took a bottom of the ACC team and now has the culture to be the top of the ACC in the sport that the ACC is best at. And he got the the leash and the length of time and tenure to do it. And it would just be cur- – I'd be curious how that might work in other sports if other schools allowed that time for their coaches. The other part of it that you do have to give credit to, quote, unquote, the administration is I'm not here to tell you that renovating the Tucker Center or way back when they built the what's known as the BTC, the Basketball Training Center, the standalone center there at the, uh, the Tuck. But those types of investments allow you to recruit at a different level. You know, when, when Coach Fisher first got here, the, the uh, IPF, the indoor practice facility, was the, the number one thing that had to happen. And not coincidentally, they built one and then they won a national championship. I'm not one of those that thinks those are always directly correlated, but they certainly play a part. And the investment that is made in facilities, the investment that's been made in allowing Leonard to attract and retain the coaches that he's had, um, the ability to recruit overseas as necessary. That's expensive. You know, all of that has come into it. But I think they're, the number one individual is obviously Leonard. And uh, I don't know that he'll coach, you know, till he's 79 years old like Coach Bowden did. But, you know, his his record, his tenure, his legacy is continuing to be built upon here. And I hope Florida State faithful, uh, A, will su- continue to support him and B, are recognizing that because he has truly, truly built something very, very special here. The Tucker Center certainly got much better and felt much more like a home court for Florida State when they made the renovations and, and redid the seats and all that a few years ago. But I think it gets lost not on – you and and me who have been able to travel and see other facilities. But I've always described it this way, without nitpicking, is it 12th, is it 14th? Florida State still, in terms of home court, basketball training center, general fan interest and support, they're in the, they're in the, the lower third of the ACC. And Leonard has 
historically been in the middle third and in the last few years in the top third, despite that, that first point I made of, of having the, being in the last third, when you talk about resources, that's just the reality. It's not a knock on anybody. No, no, that's no. where it and, is. And those of us that have been in that building when it's full and it's exciting and the crowd is into it, the kids are into it, the students, you know, it's as intimidating a place as any in the ACC. What Florida State has struggled with is the non-conference schedule and maybe some of the lower tiered teams in the ACC in any particular year where the fans say, you know, it's a nine o'clock tip because they want them on TV and I don't want to be out till 12. But that has changed as well. And so regardless of the team that's coming in, you know, obviously with the restrictions of the pandemic in this year, you know, I think that has turned the corner as well uh, because that's a very exciting place when, when it's full and, and the people are up on their feet. Quick note before we uh, go to break and get Bob Ferrante in, uh, Brooke Wyckoff, longtime affiliation with Florida State, as FSU fans know, and she's the acting head coach on the women's side this, this year as Sue Semrau stepped away. Well, she's the national coach of the week because Florida State up, upset Louisville. So congratulations to Brooke. But I'm just thinking, and we had her on the show at the start of the season, Keith, no matter how much time you've spent around basketball, if you've been the co-pilot and not the pilot, it's different when you move over and you change chairs. And I can't think of a tougher year than a COVID year. And her team has stopped and start and had it like six games postponed, three rescheduled and three or four key injuries with players not there. So congratulations to her on getting that upset over Louisville, which I think basically locks up an NCAA bid because those are pretty big shoes to fill that she's had to fill this year with Coach Sue uh, on hiatus. Without question. And and I think by all accounts, certainly we enjoy being around Brooke because of her personality. Uh, She's a a, a varsity letter winner, uh, varsity athlete in her own right. Uh, so she's part of the Florida State family, re- regardless of where she is and what she's doing. To see that success, uh, you know, the, I think the troubling thing to me, Tommy, is uh, this may be her stepping stone to another position. Uh, and I, I, for one, think she deserves it and is certainly worthy of it. But, but this may be the last year she's around here because she's been so good. Or... And I don't know how long Coach Sue plans to go. Maybe it's just the top bullet on the resume if and when Sue decides to step down and Brooke sticks it out here. Maybe maybe this uh, coach in waiting, even though with Coach Sue, the waiting may be a lot, lot longer. Yeah. It, you know, she's not, she's not an old person by any stretch. But, yeah, maybe that coach in waiting uh, concept needs to be resurrected. <laughs> Who knows? But congratulations to Brooke on that and the women's team on the upset of Louisville. We will get uh, Bob Ferrante involved in the conversation. We'll talk men's basketball. The the men do play tonight at Miami an 8.30 tip. So conversation about that and much more is straight ahead. Stay with us on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith.
Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom and KJ with you. Let's open up that Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. We say hello to our good friend, Bob Ferrante from the Osceola. Hey, Bob, how are you? Our Osceola Insider, you doing all right? Doing well. How are you guys? Doing great. We're just living in the basketball world these days. We are uh, enjoying the role that Leonard Hamilton's squad is on. First of all, uh, are you even going to watch the game tonight? Do you have any concern? Is it a name your score or is it a throw the records out game? What do you got? Yeah, that was interesting. Leonard Hamilton said earlier this week that, you know, you don't make adjustments because um, because you're first place in the ACC. You don't make adjustments because it's the second time around against Miami. He feels like teams have put out there everything that they do in on film. And, and the scouting report is kind of unknown at this point. I, I think Miami's biggest issue is just so many injuries have added up throughout the year that that they're they're really playing very shorthanded. Does that mean they're lacking talent? No, they, they've got some really good ball players. But I, I think when we see a team like Miami, the depth problems show up. They just don't have that kind of depth to play an intense, you know, style of basketball against Florida State for 40 minutes. So that, that's, I think, what separates yet again. I would just remind all of us that uh, there was a game against UCF earlier this year when supposedly UCF only had two players. So they're going to play five on two. And that didn't go very well either. So that focus obviously needs to be uh, ratcheted uh, back up to the ACC level. Well, we're not Leonard and Stan and CY talking to the team, KJ. We're just kibitzing amongst ourselves here. Are we kibitzing? Is that what we're doing today? I'm not sure if that's a technical term or not. But I I get your point. Miami is – they've definitely not had their full parts and pieces uh, for some time now. What was your takeaway from the pit game, Bob? You don't have to be fully transparent with it being an RSN game. I wasn't able to catch it um, because we're on Hulu, so I can enjoy the ACC network. Watch the condensed game, um, talk to some folks, poured over the box score. I think the big takeaway is, is yes, Raekwon Gray is really, really good, and he's been productive for eight straight games as far as scoring, um, but also rebounds, assists, and, and doing all those little things. Um the bench yet again, 33 points there. That's, that's again, what separates you from, from other teams have to also remind that how many teams in the country can have their leading score, have a zero MJ Walker was limited in practice going up to that pit game and just some nagging injuries. It wasn't, it was an off night, but he has a zero in Florida state still controls that game. It was tight late, but he pulled out a seven point win on the road in what was a rescheduled game too. Um, Cause we were talking about this last Wednesday, was this game against Virginia tech going to happen on Saturday or not? And then it ended up, you know, later in the afternoon, you know, Pitt is the rescheduled. So all kinds of crazy factors being thrown at Florida state yet they handle business. The thing I liked is number one, they didn't shoot the ball particularly well and still won. Obviously when you're hitting, what was it? 60% in one of the prior games uh, from three, you can beat a lot of people. The other thing, and we talked about this on this show, is you traded a home game for an away game, and Florida State had not performed well for whatever reason on the road, and we were just lamenting amongst ourselves it would be nice if that makeup game was an away game just to get over that ghost. Yeah, I don't know what it is about the road this year because fans aren't really an issue. There aren't fans at Carolina and Duke. I didn't see, I don't think any fans up at Pitt or maybe it was a small number of of families and friends. So is it just the comfort of sleeping in your own bed that night before and waking up and having your routine 
going to a familiar gym where you know the sight angles and, and you know how the rims are and all that good stuff. I don't really know. Honestly, on the women's side, the women have been incredible at home, whereas on the road, they've struggled. Who knows how to explain this? Um, but it's just we're, we're seeing some good basketball really out of the men and women lately. That's that's good to see. I don't know about you guys, but I kind of like being on the road occasionally. I don't have to make that bed up. Every morning I get out of my bed because I'm the last one out. I got to make it up. <laughs> Let's go back to the most important thing Bob said, Keith. And that is due to this squabble with the RSNs, he has Hulu and didn't get the game. I have YouTube TV and didn't get the game. And what really annoyed me is the Virginia Tech game was originally scheduled for ESPN or ACC network. Wasn't until right as the game tipped, I realized I wasn't getting it. So for the record, Keith, do you still have Xfinity? Uh, I do not. I have direct TV. So did you get the game? I did get the game. Okay, so next time there's an RSN game, we're all going to Keith's house. Now, conversely, do you get ACC Network on? on I do get ACC. Oh, Network so as I need well. a satellite dish, is what you're telling me. I'm just saying. I got too many trees around my house to do it. The the great irony, and probably for you too, Bob, is I switched to YouTube TV to get the ACC Network, and now every time I try to watch Leonard's team play, they're not on the AC. Actually, they are on the ACC Network tonight, I think, against Miami. Uh, so I think I'm good the rest of the way. I, I don't, we don't need to have an ACC network segment here, but uh, it has not gone swimmingly. Can I just leave it at that? <laughs> well, yeah, and the bo- other bottom line of it is, you know, the numbers, you know, we, we've talked about how the numbers for the SEC and the big 12 are so good. And now the ACC is getting wrapped up. And again, I don't want to go down a rabbit hole, but my goodness, NFL is expecting a hundred percent increase in their rights fees. What does that say for college going forward, if anything? Well, it answers the question that sports still has value because it's the one thing people view live. So that would, but it does not mean that college is going to command the same amount of dollars there. Um, we need to do a more informed show on that with somebody in the know, and we can work on that for when we get to offseason stuff. Let me bring it back to FSU basketball here. Uh, you were probably on this call, Bob, and I don't, I don't know if it was asked this way, but Tom D'Angelo who was on the Florida State beat for years and in South Florida, I guess, in the Palm Beach Post. He wrote an article about Scotty Barnes this week, comparing him to Magic Johnson. Now, first of all, he's got a long way to go to be Magic Johnson. But if you just look at the height and the size and the smile and the fun that he has, it's not a bad starting place. Do you have anything to add to that? Did you see that article that Tom penned, or were you involved in that conversation? You know, when Tom jumped on the Zoom, I, I first did a double take, and it had been a while, while since I had seen him. Um, Leonard Hamilton's response to Tom's question on Scotty was 11 solid minutes. And it was a really good meandering 11 minute answer, just kind of telling you different things about Scotty. And I I think, you know, the story was really, really well written as as Tom is a guy who can just, you know, turn a phrase and and write incredibly well. He talked to Scotty's mom and and some other folks down in Palm Beach. So it's a really good story if you go to palmbeachpost.com and read that. Um, the comparisons I think are, are favorable in terms of, um, height, vision, court vision, uh, instincts. Um, I, I don't remember what magic was like as a shooter really young in his career and Scotty, the kind of knock on him early on was he just was not a jump shooter, but he was a fearless, um, in terms of his willingness to drive to the basket, his, his enthusiasm being infectious, I think there are certainly a lot of parallels there, uh, stylistically, personality. Yeah, for sure. 
you know, well, we, 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 excuse me, Tom, we tend, or at least I tend to look at magic at the last half of his career. Would, would am I right? Tom, Tom, Bob, Scotty's more athletic than magic. Would you not agree? That's an interesting one. I, I mean, magic just to be six ten and do the things that he did. I always thought, well, man, that's, that's crazy that he's that tall and that, that athletic, but I, I would say Scotty is, is very different in just that he can do, he moves really well. There's a lot of fluidity in him. Um, I, I like that fearlessness. I do see a jump shot improving too. Um, we're getting into risky territory trying to do a comp, but it, it's a really interesting discussion point because we all kind of see where Scotty's going long-term. Right, right. Yeah, what you're like, saying is he's got Tom Block athleticism, the young Tom Block athleticism. <laughs> uh, even the young Tom Block uh, was not associated with athleticism, KJ, I don't think. Um, well, part of that conversation, though, Bob, to forget the magic Scotty comparison right now, was Leonard discussing the fact that we've lost sight of the point that Scotty has never played point guard until this year. And so there's only so many hours in a day and so many hours with the team. And he's spending a great amount of that learning to play point guard as compared to just putting up free throws and putting up three point shots. He can get those better. They may not get better this year and it may be a couple years into his professional career. Those will get better. I totally agree. And, and to underscore it, we don't want to bring it back to a pandemic, but he's learning a new position in a pandemic with different practice structures and time that you have on the court with teammates and chemistry. He, he was not a, a point guard at all in high school, but Leonard Hamilton had this kind of vision and, and said, you know, Scotty, this is what you're going to do in the NBA. You know, so why not start it earlier? And I think to some extent, Florida State has kind of taken on those growing pains when you transition from a Trent Forrest, who also, by the way, was not a point guard in high school, but just developed into one. Um, his scoring totals, Trent's scoring totals over at Chipley were just crazy, but he became a point guard. Um, can Scotty do that? Yeah, of course. I mean, in a perfect world, you'd say, well, Scotty has one more year to develop as a point in college, but that ain't the way that things are working. It's just not going to happen. We're going to see him develop, you know, in, in his next step in the NBA. How about uh, how about another comparison, guys? Not to belabor it, but uh, George McLeod. You know, when Pat moved him to the point guard position, you know, he he blossomed. him. He was six 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 seven, wasn't he? And it's interesting you bring up George because I was just kind of fumbling through the record books. Uh, Chuck Walsh put out some good numbers. This Florida State team is shooting the three pointer better than any team historically, with the exception of some of those years with George McLeod. Those kind of mid to late 80s teams where George, I think, drilled about 45% from beyond the arc. So, yeah, some, some kind of interesting tie-ins there that I think are really neat. It's, um, hey, kudos to, to Coach Hamilton and the staff for trying to make this work just with all of the different various pieces that you're replacing, um, you know, beyond Trent, two lottery picks too. So this, this wasn't like a ready-made roster that Scotty gets to jump into because he's got a, a Patrick Williams and Devin Vassell, it's jump right in. And Hey, we, we do have MJ and, and Raekwon Gray, Anthony polite ball. So the, the whole team, but it, it wasn't as exceptionally loaded. If, if you, if you had those guys who went in the lottery. 
hear me out, there's parallels between McLeod and Raekwon Gray, too. Now, I showed up at Florida State later in George's career, but he lost a bunch of weight, and that's really when he blossomed and became the three-point marksman as a junior and a senior, which I remember. I didn't see McLeod play earlier in his career. And obviously, Raekwon has gotten in better shape, and he's been the story lately. Let me turn the page to the women's side real quick. I called the Louisville game the other day, and this is now four times out of six years that FSU has beaten a top-five Louisville team. I mean, just show up in the top five, and Florida State will beat you. Now, FSU was, when you look at bracketology, they were in the field already, but they weren't a lock, I don't think, depending on how they finished. Beating Louisville, they're now a lock, I would say, to get in. And, and credit to Brooke Wyckoff. That was a huge win. Yeah, ESPN's bracketology had them as a 10 seed, I think, which kind of has you not necessarily on a bubble, but you're you're kind of in a, in a limbo that you don't want to be in. And I think for, for them to pull off this win, a signature win, a momentum-building win, you know, especially for a team that's had so many moving pieces they had transfers that they thought would be available earlier um they've had i i have lost count legitimately of how many games rescheduled postponed canceled for them they were only playing game 15 on sunday and for them to do that against you know teams who are playing 20 21 22 games they're just further ahead in their development um enjoyed watching the game and, and morgan jones was far and away the best player on the court that day played really good on the defensive end and just made all the big plays. And really as, as a game that, that wasn't beautiful because the shooting percentages just weren't there, Florida State did its job at the free throw line just to seal that one up and make sure that Louisville didn't have a chance later on. It was a good win for him. Hey, we didn't get a chance to talk about this last week. And I know Jerry uh, wrote about it extensively on the Osceola. I'll remind our listeners, subscribe to the Osceola if you don't already, but Duquesne got added to the football schedule to which we all said they play football at Duquesne. And then we said, where is Duquesne? And then we said, when is this game exactly? So why don't you explain what you found out about how in the world Florida state is playing Duquesne? You know, it's a, it's a weird story. We are all kind of scratching our heads too, trying to figure all those details out. So in 2022, Florida state is going to open with Duquesne in Tallahassee. And the reason why is because they're going to play at Hawaii that following week. And there's a, an NCAA rule, kind of a wrinkle, where if you are playing at Hawaii, you have the opportunity to open up camp a week early. So what Florida State is going to get to do is not only is Duquesne opening their camp early, Florida State can open a week earlier. Gives you more practice time going in. Gives you a game to warm up with Duquesne before you, you truly ramp up against LSU. So as all coaches like to say, you figure out a lot between week one and week two. Technically, this is a week zero game against Duquesne, but same, same kind of principle. You want to play somebody to figure things out before you then go into New Orleans, which will be a true neutral, but pro LSU, let's be honest. And, and I think that's a, it's a really good opportunity. Also, there, there, it there's also nothing neutral the, about New Orleans. <laughs> it also gives you the Tom Block scheduling model because I believe you'll have two bye weeks during that season as well, will you not? Yes, that's true. Two bye weeks. I think they are aiming for a bye after the LSU game. That's just not going to be set in stone until what this time next year, probably. That is my scheduling model, Keith. Everybody starts August 1st. You can play the, you know, week zero. Get two bye weeks. Let's just make it happen. 
again, Bob, Keith and I, when we, well, we don't really argue about this one, but it always gets brought up. Well, then you got to start camp July 20th. No, you don't. You can still start at August 1st and teams get fewer practices, but your games can start then. I mean, you just give everybody the same rules. You can make it work. All right. Other sports at FSU, uh, the golf team has won again. They, they defended their, the, the course at Golden Eagle this week. So Trey Jones has got things going. Uh, the track team is going to compete for a national title, well, I guess an ACC championship this weekend, and then a, tra- a national title potentially pretty soon. There's a lot of good things going on. Baseball's underway. Yeah, we knew it was going to be busy late February into March. Um, you know, women's tennis top 10. I know you're going to talk with uh, Coach Jennifer Hyde. It, it's, it's almost to the point where if I start talking about three or four teams, I'm going to forget three or four. There's just a lot of good stuff going on. I think the thing with baseball, it's going to take time. Pitchers take time to get into that groove. I wouldn't be in a rush to make snap judgments about, you know, first weekend, who did this, who did that. We saw a lot of positives. We saw a lot of things that were, were clearly frustrating Mike Martin Jr. But, you know, again, it's a great time of year. The weather is a little warmer. A lot of teams out there on the field. Good times out there. He is our Osceola insider, Bob Franti. Bob, thanks as always. Good to catch up. Take care, guys. We'll step aside, turn our attention to women's tennis. That conversation with Coach Jennifer Hyde is up next on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS. Back on Front Row Knowles, Tom and KJ once more. Thanks to Bob for joining us, and we're pleased to keep the Earl Bacon Agency hotline open. Going to talk some women's tennis, and who better to have that discussion with and the longtime head coach of the Florida state women's tennis program. And that is Jennifer Hyde who joins us now, coach, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me, Tom. Good to see you. It's, it's good to see you too. That is one upside as Keith and I have done this now for coming up on a year via zoom. We actually get to see our guests, not just hear them, which makes for a a better interview overall. And uh, this is an obvious place to start, but you're number six in the country. So I guess things are going well. Tell us a little bit about your team. Yeah, I know they're going pretty well. Actually, rankings just posted the new rankings for this week. We're up to five now. So, um, yeah, just little bits of climbing every week. We're going the right direction. Um, uh, It's an exciting time. Um, You know, I think we're about one year out from when everything shut down last year. And, um, you know, I feel like we're actually a little bit better. We have a lot of returnees from last year's squad, which helps a lot. Um, but we're having a good time. I mean, we're so grateful to be playing right now, too. You know, you see across the country things getting shut down left, right and center, even, you know, here. And um, we're just really enjoying every second of it, loving the challenges, loving competing. Um, the girls are doing a great job. I mean, you know, funny, they, they they go through this weekly stress of the COVID test. Right. And it's like, oh, please let us survive another week. Please let us survive another week. And, and we just we just keep thriving and surviving. So that's kind of where we are right now and having a fantastic time. Coach, and we don't want to go back and relive things, but we've asked uh, the coaches that have been on our show, if you go back to May and June, where were you, where was your squad? Where were they housing? What, how were you able to work out? How did you transition that into the fall? Yeah, I, 
it was it was tricky. We had girls all around the world. We had some that were in complete lockdown. Um, we had some, you know, we've got one player whose parents own the club, right? So she was able to not skip a beat. She played all summer, all fall. Um, we had others, one or two that were actually one that was that stayed here uh, just because they were concerned about getting stuck at home. So everyone was scattered about. Uh, there was it was not grouped up at all. We had no summer training. Obviously, I think everything was pretty hot. So we were, you know, not getting together. Obviously, we had no competitions in the fall. But getting back in the fall was really great just to get back on court and have some sort of normalcy that we were missing, you know, with just everything kind of shutting down for so many months. For, for the sake of our listeners, I do want to point out, and we've talked to you about this before, but you have a very international roster. So I'm looking at it quickly. You've got a couple of Italians, uh, Greece, a couple from the UK, uh, looks like Spain, India, Australia. So when you talk about really being dispersed around the globe, potentially, I mean, that's as much of an international player as any program at FSU has. Absolutely. I think uh, we have quite a few programs. I think you find tennis, too, across the country is, is very global. Um, that's probably tennis and is probably the leading, maybe golf, uh, pretty significant. And, uh, you know, I love it. I love the flavor. I love the flair. I love the different cultures, the different personalities. More important than anything is everyone on the roster is, is a Seminole. They are, you know, they fight for the, with the, the, with the Seminole head on their jersey. I mean, you'll see one of our kids, Vic Allen's down there. She's constantly in her match hitting her chest, which has a Seminole head on it. Just uh, it doesn't matter where they're from. Uh, they're 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 balling right now, and and they love Florida State. They love being a part of this program, and they love being part of the success of this program in the last four or five years, where we've just really the trajectory has been fantastic. But it's all them, right? And, and it's their investment and them loving it, and loving what they do. And I think at the end of the day, if you're loving what you're doing, um, you know you can't fake it at FSU. You can't fake it, you know, any place that's going to be successful. And and these guys. They don't have to fake it because they truly love it and, and they're very good at what they do. Um, and, and yeah, so I, I do love the global flair. Uh, some people might not, uh, but, but we have a great team. We have a great ambassadors for our institution, which I think is very important. You know, they're fantastic academically. You know, we won the highest GPA award last year again. You know, they're always in the top two for that. So, you know, we're in the community. They're, they're, they're kind of hitting all the ticks, you know, and, and being really good at a lot of different things. And uh, I'm grateful to be around these guys every day. How in the world do you decide on what you're going to have for a team meal with that many <laughs> different nationalities? You know, it's pretty cool. They get together like the, it's because of COVID. It, it hasn't happened as much because of, you know, trying to not get in groups, but they do uh, tapas night. So everyone brings a dish or two from their country and they cook it and they bring it together. Uh, and, and, you know, they're, they're pretty easy going with that, but there's a couple of very specific things at the countries where they represent. And it's, it's a, uh, it's fun. I mean, I think it it, 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 it enhances their lives too, to learn about those different cultures. And, and it's, and it's fun, you know, it's good to learn. It's, it's not good to be in this little box. So you got to open your mind. The fact that I understand, you know, it is global. We are global, right? Let me ask you, coach, you talked about the trajectory right now for the last four or five years, and you have a long association with FSU because you played at FSU too in your playing days and yeah. now have been the coach uh, close to two decades, I think is the head coach. What what changed in the last few years that enabled you to take the program a rung higher than maybe where it had been and to be in, as you pointed out, and correct me, the top five right now in the country? Yeah, I mean, I think when you're a younger coach, too, you, you think you know what you're doing and uh, you, 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 can trick, you can try to trick yourself and trick others. I think you get better as you get older. I think, you know, you start realizing the things that are most important about 
running a program at the highest levels. And, and that starts with the student athletes. That starts with recruiting. That starts recruiting the right people. Um, it, 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 you know, and it's tough to do. I mean, it, it hasn't gotten any easier to recruit as we've gotten better. That's just a lie. If anyone tells you differently, it's crazy because uh, you're still competing with the absolute best of the best every single year in, in, in recruiting the best talents that you can get in and the best talent that you can help develop. Um, I, I have to think I just have to give so much of that credit to the, to the student athletes we've had, the young ladies we've had come through this program who have truly bought into playing for championships mentality and, and not coming here just because it's the next thing they're supposed to do. You know, they want to come in here and, and use the experiences that they've had in, in, you know, when it helps too, I'll tell you what, if I'm being totally honest, this, this institution, the women's, the women's sports here at FSU, it's, uh, so, it's so inspiring. I mean, we have so many unbelievably gifted, talented coaches and programs and student athletes that if you look across the board and you look at the rankings, it's like top 10 here, top five here, top 15, top 20. I mean, uh, just being surrounded by that is, is hugely motivating too. And, and so I think everyone wants to be a part of that and wants to enhance that and, and continue to be kind of a lead in that across the program. And it, it's, uh, I got to put so much of that on the recruiting and, and, and recruiting the talent and, and then putting it on their shoulders to perform and to work hard and to be successful. And they're doing, they're just doing such a great job. And, and again, it just falls down to two. They'd love it. They love what they do. And I think that's the separate, you got to love this. And they truly love to go out there and perform and play for Florida state. Don't you uh, are performing and competing in a conference, at least for this year and obviously for years past, that is rather stout uh, on yeah. the court. Uh, I was yeah. looking at some numbers. Uh, you guys moving up to number five. I didn't check the others, but UNC is at number one. You're at number five. And then there are, what, four more programs in the top ten. So uh, you're sitting seven and one in a conference that is very, very difficult to compete in at the, in the, in the sport of tennis. Yeah, no, and – you know, I think it's ebb and flowed over the last 10, 15 years of the ACC, SEC. And I think the ACC by far right now is uh, it's pretty ridiculously deep. Uh, we get no matches off. There's no there's no easy days. Uh, uh, but at the same time, that's what you want. Right. You want to pin yourself against the best teams in the country, show that you belong there and, and let them try to you know punch you down. But I mean, we're in a position now where every time we're set, like we're stepping on court Friday night against NC State, who's nine in the country, they could easily be two in the country. I mean, it's the separation is very thin, um, and it's hugely, hugely competitive in our conference. I mean, we, we, we beat up on each other every season, uh, which is good. It, it, makes, it makes the kids better, makes the programs better, makes the conference, conference better, more respectable. So, yeah, it, it, there's no days off, that's for sure. And, and, but we embrace it. We love the challenges because, I mean, it, you need to play um, – uh, some matches to get get your vibe, get your feels up there, especially having not competed in the fall. But at the same time, where you really challenge yourself is against the best of the best, and 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 being able to get into those moments and perform and really find your best level on that day, the rewards are, are endless. They're great, and to do it as a team, uh, it's just a big, big fat cherry on top for sure. We're talking with Jennifer Hyde, the women's tennis coach at Florida State, Coach. There's the depth of the ACC, but your team also has very good depth this year. So I'm curious, when you set your lineup, what goes into that? How do you balance egos and personalities with overthinking what you might decide based on this person is going to match up better against this opponent and that sort of thing? 
that's a really good question. If you'd asked my, my associate head coach and my volunteer coach, we'd have a good laugh about it. I, I tend to probably look at every fine detail that you could heading into competition. We spend way too much time talking about it, honestly, but I, I'm a little uh, hypersensitive to a lot of the little details of things, whether it's matchups, whether it's somebody's mood, whether it's someone's prepped that week, whether it's experience, uh, there's a lot of different things that go into it. And we do have a significant problem this year, which is a fantastic problem, is that we have options. We do have options where, you know, we could put people in and pull people out and, and, and have equal success. And it is hard to manage the, the, the hearts of the kids, too, and the minds, because, you you know, you, if, if, if you have a winning formula, it's hard to stray from that, right? You know, it's hard to say, okay, we're just going to take you out and put someone out if they're doing their job, if they're performing and they're, and they're winning and they're being successful, you know, you're not, you have to be careful just yanking people out. Now there might be an occasion where someone's a little sick, their legs bother them a little bit. We are able to pull right from our bench and we don't skip a beat. And that's a, it's not normal. It's not, it's not a usual thing, but it's creating a lot of challenges, but it's a fantastic situation to be in. And I think the girls are really learning as, as gracefully as they can how to accept their role on the day, whatever that role looks like. And if it's in the stands cheering, you, you go crazy about it. If it's just doubles and you, you leave it out there and doubles and you play for this program and, and it takes a lot of maturity and you're asking a lot of an 18, 19 year old to, to, to take that on. And it's tough. And I know it, it gets tough over time, but uh, it's a good problem that we have because we do have that depth that we can kind of push and pull some things in and out and, uh, and, and still have some success. A coach is a former athlete here and now a coach, and, and I had the uh, privilege of playing uh, a long, long, long time ago. Uh, there is one underlying thing that just can't go without saying, and that is that you beat the Gators this year. And it doesn't matter if it's tennis, football, tiddlywinks, or anything in between. That's always sweet. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we're four in a row now against them the last three years. So, you know, it – there's nothing like that rivalry, right? I mean, there's nothing like it. I mean, every, 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 you play Miami, it's a rivalry. We play Clemson's rivalry. Florida's, it's just a little bit different. It's a little bit sweeter um, because it really does feel very neutral. No matter who's ranked where, when you're playing each other, it's like everyone's the same and let's just go to battle and punch each other in the face and see who can survive the longest. Right. And it, it is, it's, it's a, uh, that's a good one to check off every year. And, it, and it's not easy. I mean, this program went 25 years without ever beating Florida. And, you know, we've been able to get them last four years back to back to back. And then, you know, heading into the Sweet 16 as well, playing them there, beating them there to advance. And, um, yeah, it's pretty cool. It, it feels good. We, we enjoy those moments. We don't let it carry on too long because, I mean, things can change on the dime. I think that we've all realized that in the last year. But, um, boy, we, we certainly enjoyed that one. That's for sure. We've enjoyed every one of them. Coach, we had Lonnie Alameda on a couple of weeks ago and asked her about the challenges of trying to make sure that you have a full roster in a COVID world. And she talked about traveling two buses and she's got a pit, you know, a full team on each bus kind of thing. And so on the Mm -hmm. surface, you, I would look at tennis and say, well, you're playing singles, you can socially distance and you don't have those concerns. But then when you bring it back to well, you do travel together and you train together and you eat together and you study together, then all those concerns show back up. So how has it impacted how you strategically and logistically face every day with your team? Yeah, no, it's a completely different mindset. I think 
you know, even in hotels now, you've got to book, you know, the meeting rooms and you've got to have, you know, sometimes you can bring food in, sometimes you can't bring food in. Um, the, the, the logistics of driving are a slight nightmare because you really want to have like four per car or six per van. And then we had a funny incident this weekend where one of our vans broke down. So I had to drive back with all eight girls in one van, which is not ideal during COVID. We didn't have a choice. And, and we were just like, you know what? Mask up, do the best we can. Let's hope that we don't have anything. But they do a pretty good job of everywhere we go, we're, we're putting our masks on. I'm carrying around bottles, squirting stuff all over their hands. But everything has changed. It's been very, um, those details, everything's taking longer. Yeah, I mean, whether it's checking in at a hotel, whether it's, you know, getting to facilities that have, uh, you know, restrictions on how many people can be in a building at one. I mean, there's all these things that are happening that have changed it. But it just takes a little bit more planning. You know, we got to be on those details a little bit more and, and be flexible because things are going to happen that are going to throw a wrench at things. And there's not not a whole lot you can do about it. You just kind of have to try to plan ahead with some things and, and have a backup plan. You know, like travel this year, we're going to end up taking a, a bus in between B.C. and Syracuse because we don't want to get in a plane again and go two two trips to go, you know, from one site to another. I haven't. I mean, we've taken a bus five times since I've been at FSU just to go to Orlando, right? So, you know, we're making those changes to keep them safe and to give us the best chances to, you know, stay COVID-free as long as we can and, and, and kick this off as long as we can so we can keep our season going. You mentioned the matchup as we wrap up with North Carolina State. That's a top 10 showdown. What What's available for fans? How can fans support your program and get out and, and, and see the girls play this year? Yeah, absolutely. We've got um, the restrictions outdoors, uh, 121 fans. And uh, we actually just sent some stuff out to some of our boosters in the community about uh, just sending me an email. We're making a pass list and it's going to get cut off at 121. The good thing is I believe the men have a match just before as well. So we'll be able to double that capacity since there'll be two events going on on both sides of the facility. So if anyone wants to email me directly, jhyde at fsu.edu, we'll get you on the pass list. It's going to be a difference maker having a good a good fan support uh, system in the in the crowd because this is like I said number five versus number nine these are these are the reasons why you come to Florida State playing these big matches and it really helps to have those those seats in the uh, the behinds in the seats uh, supporting our young ladies. Coach, congratulations on the success and the long tenure and enjoy it. Thanks for joining us. I will. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. You bet, That's Coach Jennifer Hyde, women's tennis coach at Florida State. We'll step aside and come back with more front row Knowles right after this. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Tom and Keith back with you. Thanks to Coach Jennifer Hyde for joining us, a Florida State alumnus having great success in her 17th or 18th season now as uh, head coach of the women's tennis team. I am I am not a, a tennis player, so I'm not going to pretend and, and try to fake it. My dad played a lot of tennis. I've been a sports guy. I understand it. I've called several tennis matches of Florida State over the years, Keith. And as an aside, uh, they're fascinating to watch because of the team concept to it. So you can get a really close match 
and on court three courts at a time, you'll be in the last game. And it really comes down to what happens on court five, now court four, now court three, that sort of thing. So it's, it's fun to watch, but related to her, the, the question I asked her about setting your starting lineup. So if you think about that dynamic, when you're coaching that sport or you're coaching golf or cross country is this way where you have to declare, these are the people whose scores are going to count. If you think about football or basketball or whatever, I mean, we, you know, we give Leonard a lot of grief on whether Fiondu should have been starting or Patrick Williams are coming off the bench, but the reality is it matters not. They're still going to play 25 minutes and contribute. Well, it doesn't work that way in women's tennis. If she's looking at it and she says, you know what? I'm going to bench player A in favor of player B at the five spot. Well, if that doesn't work out, you know, you're not sleeping at night over it because there's no way to integrate that score into the team score. That is a dynamic that is, you know, somewhat unusual. Men's golf, uh, women's golf plays into that. The other thing, and I'm not a tennis player either, uh, and so both of us are somewhat handicapped in being able to be uh, insightful. But the other thing I've just noticed over the last five or 10 years, particularly on the women's side, we talk about the game of football having changed. You know, 40 years ago, it was three yards in a cloud of dust, and now it's wide open and nobody plays defense and, you know, first one to 50 wins. It appears to me, I'd be interested in your comment, but the women's game, tennis game, has become very, very athletic. You know, I grew up watching, you know, following from from the baseline and a a point would take you know 38 seconds to be won you're getting a serve a return and a follow and and it's over and they don't stay back on the baseline they they charge the net I mean it's a different game than many of us remember that are at least a little bit older I think that's fair and I also you know in the last few years they've made tweaks to the game to make it more tv friendly because candidly, uh, and, and if you watch Wimbledon or if you follow tennis at all, uh, you know, you can go forever into your tie breaks and deep into the game. So they've put some rules in play and they've eliminated, uh, you know, add tennis basically. So, I mean, you're just winning on a point to, to speed things up and that's to try and grow the game and make it more television friendly. But it's, it is, you know, this year maybe is not the best year for me to say go out and take in tennis if you haven't done so because I realize there's limited capacity. But it, it's a different dynamic if you've never seen college tennis played. All right, Keith, any concerns about Miami and FSU tonight? Only what I raised earlier. Uh, there's a, there's a, the, the natural athletic mental thing that if you know you're going up against your opponent and either your opponent or the person you're playing against is injured or hobbled or the team as a whole is going to have a lot of people sitting on the bench and they're not going to be able to make it on the court, there's just this natural tendency to let down. And I hope that doesn't happen to Florida State because they do control their own destiny. Uh, they could accomplish something uh, in terms of winning a second back-to-back uh, regular season championship that is unprecedented. Uh, and I hope they don't fall into the normal um, trap of you know saying, well, Miami's not at full strength, so we don't need to worry about them. I hope they don't do that. Yeah, I don't think they will. I don't think they will. I think there's enough maturity on the team uh, and veterans like a Raekwon Gray and MJ and guys that have been around, even even Polite's been around for a while. Shoot, Malik Osborne's in his third year here, counting his redshirt year. I feel like there's a enough to get them past it. Uh, hopefully that's the case, and it is cool to see that they control their their own destiny. Then the only, they get- thing I hate, only thing I hate is I really like likes, Chris likes for Miami. 
And my understanding is he will not play tonight. Uh, he is he is something to watch. Uh, and I know he's an opponent. I know he's a rival, but uh, he's a fun player to watch. I'll, I'll I'll miss not seeing him tonight if he doesn't play. He's an annoying player to watch to me. Well, that but, too. That too. Hey, I don't know what made me think of this, but you were there the night that Xavier Rattan Mays scored like a thousand points in four minutes or whatever, right? Correct. Correct. <laughs> How many was it? Like. 19 17 19 and three and a half minutes and it was it was a bunch yeah here's another thing about that real quick that building that miami plays in leonard built it but he never got to coach in it yeah that was his big thing he wanted an on-campus facility you know that he could play basketball in they finally got started on it finally got it constructed but then he went to the wizards and so uh, that's that's the building that leonard built that he'll be playing in tonight well so the first time I ever got the Leonard scowl, and we'll finish on this, Keith, I remember when, when Leonard was introduced as head coach at FSU. He had been at Miami, and Miami had played their college games at the Miami Arena for a period of time with like a 1,000 fans in the Heats facility. They had even played, and I don't remember if he was coaching them then, at the James L. Knight Center, which is a convention center in a hotel in downtown, like a ballroom. Mm-hmm. So I asked him a question akin to, similarities and challenges of taking over at Florida state, which was at the bottom of the ACC having come from Miami and dealt with challenges. And he gave me the stare, like you have no idea the challenges I had at Miami and whatever they are at Florida state, they're not in the same bucket. That was, and that was the first time I saw the Leonard scowl and it was at his introductory press conference when he was hired in 02, I think it was. <laughs> uh, I, I was at that press conference. I don't remember that question, but I was at that press conference and, <laughs> and uh, I, I, I got 20 years of that scowl. I, 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 I'm well aware of what you were talking about. <laughs> All right. On that note, I think we should call it a show. Keith uh, enjoyed it as always, folks. Thanks for tuning in. We're back every Wednesday. He's Keith. I'm Tom. And this is Front Row Knowles. Control.